Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. It's always risky when you talk to children in a service. In the first service, I asked what I thought was the right question, but it was the wrong question, because when I asked them about birthdays in the first service, I started getting a, a, a list of everything they had ever done on every birthday. When they went here, when they went there, you know, how Hollywood, Hollywood, how Holiday World was on the day they were there, right? Because they love their birthdays and they look forward to them. And we all have days, we all have times in our lives, so we all have things, events that we look forward to. And when we're young, there are certain kinds of things, and when we get older, there are other kinds of things. Uh, and when you get older, you think, why did I even look forward to that? It seems so weird because that was, you know, now I wouldn't think. I, I remembered when I was a, a young man our, uh, in the church I attended, the youth groups would go with all the other youth groups in the region to a roller skating rink in a certain nearby city. And this roller skating rink, uh, I think, uh, was maybe built by Fred Flintstone. It was that old. Okay, it was old. And so one out of three times while you were skating, a wheel would fall off of your skate, right? And they played this music that in these, you know, ancient kinds of speakers, and it was this kind of... It was awful. But I looked forward to that. I looked forward to going because, you know, you were going to go roller skating and your friends might be there and it was always fun. And so we look forward to all kinds of things. We anticipate all kinds of things. And this morning, that's what I want us to consider, our anticipation. Will you stand with me as we read our scripture again, please? As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door, outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Something I'd just like to comment on as a side note, but it's not really a side note. This account particularly says that those who went 
in front and those who followed shouted. And as we get older and more entwined in our lives and in this world, we more and more lose our capacity to shout. We, we lose our hosannaing capacity. It doesn't say that the people in front and the people who followed were all children. It does say that the children did that in other accounts, but it's obvious by this account that it wasn't just the children. And so we don't want to lose that capacity. Be aware of that as we go. Why would the people speak at that moment of the coming kingdom of their father David? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. It's because David had a promise from God. A thousand years before Christ rode into Jerusalem on a colt, David had received the promise from God. David was a man, the Bible says, who uh, was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He wrote many, many psalms. We sing so many things that David was the one that the Holy Spirit used to inspire right? And David gave to God his worship. David wasn't afraid of Hosanna-ing. David wasn't afraid of making, putting himself out there and being all out there. And so what happened when they moved the Ark of the Covenant in the scripture, when the Ark of the Covenant was finally moved into Jerusalem, it was while David was king. And when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it says that they, they carried the Ark in. And I was reading it yesterday. It said that the, the Levites who carried the Ark were strengthened by God. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Can you imagine carrying the Ark of the Lord? And it said that they were strengthened by God to do the work of carrying it. It, it didn't seem like it was that big of a thing when you see the pictures in the movies, Right? Why would they have to be strengthened? But it said that they sacrificed. They would go nine paces, and then they would sacrifice. And it says that David, the king, was out there in his, uh, in his comfortable clothes. Now, what's your comfortable clothes? The comfortable clothes are the clothes I wear when I'm just walking around the house. It's the t-shirt and the real nice shorts that are just like, you know, you wouldn't want, most people don't go to Walmart even wearing their comfortable clothes, right? But David was dancing in his, in his undergarments almost, but he was dancing. And he was celebrating and he was hosannaing. And at that time, God was coming into Jerusalem in a way. And David was the one who was processing before him and celebrating God coming into Jerusalem as the ark of the Lord came into Jerusalem. David loved the Lord. He loved him. And David, after a while, wanted to build a house for the ark, to house the ark. He wanted to build a house for the Lord. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he says to Nathan, the prophet, he says, uh, See how I dwell in this nice house, this house of cedar? But the ark of the Lord dwells within tent curtains. 
I want to build a house for the Lord, for the ark. And so David, so Nathan immediately just says, sounds good to me. That's a good plan. I like that. A house for the Lord. Well, God stopped it. That night, Nathan went home, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Nathan, you need to go back to David and say, David, you're not going to build the ark, or you're not going to build the, the house for the ark. That's not going to be your job. It's going to be the job of your son. And so Nathan goes and tells David about this, and then God, through Nathan, gives David some promises about his future, about the son that would be born to him, which would be Solomon, who would build the house for the ark of the Lord. And then he gives him promises, a very special promise about his own house, that is David's household. And he said, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so backstory: a thousand years before Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, you have David giving, being given a promise that his house would be the house of kings forever. The house of kings over the people of God. God promised David an eternal throne. And interestingly, through his life, David was used over and over again to uh, prepare the people of God for the very fulfillment of that promise. And so David would write in the Psalms, he would write messianic prophecies by the Holy Spirit in the Psalms for us to hear and for us to understand and for the people back then to hear and understand what was coming, who was coming, and how they would recognize him. And one of those Psalms is Psalm 110. And the first verse of that psalm, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And immediately, you realize that David is saying something a little complicated. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Right? And so he goes on in the psalm and he talks about another messianic prophecy, that is that Jesus would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. But the idea of the Lord saying to my Lord in verse 1 is the most quoted Old Testament messianic prophecy in the New Testament. It's quoted five, <clears throat> excuse me, five times in the New Testament that that phrase is quoted by Jesus and by others. And so Jesus quotes it in the context of rebuking the Sadducees about their false view of the resurrection. Remember the account with the Sadducees? When they come to Jesus and they're trying to, to, uh, <clears throat> to, to um, trick him. Excuse me a second. So they decide that they're going to ask Jesus a trick question. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they're going to ask Jesus a trick question. And they said, well, there's a woman, and she gets married to a man, and he dies. And, of course, the Jewish uh, custom was that if a woman died, or if a man died and his wife had given no children, that his brother would marry her and raise up children in his name. And so they said, well, she, he dies, and she marries his brother, and that brother dies, no children. He marries another brother, and 
you know, they create this kind of scenario, like, you know, how many angels fit on the head of a pin, how many, you know what I'm saying? And they bring this to Jesus, and now, aha, what do you think about that? And so Jesus just, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Here's what the Word of God says. It says that uh, to Moses, uh, when he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, it's saying that Moses understands that God is the God of the living. They're alive. That God is the God of the resurrection. And so Jesus silenced them. And they were silenced. They didn't continue to ask more questions. It actually says that they did not have courage to question him anymore at that point. But it was one of those opportunities Jesus took to actually kind of push further. And so he did. And he said, How is it that they say Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he his son? And all he's trying to do is bollocks them up with the reality of who he is for the moment. And he does. Because what he's saying to them is, it is in fact David's son, but it is in fact David's Lord, and I am in fact him. And that's how David could prophesy about me. And so all of the people of God through that time were waiting and waiting and waiting. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, again quotes that same prophecy from Psalm 110. And he talks about uh, how... This Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He talks about David and he says, David David also prophesied and says, you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You won't allow, David, in in the Psalms, prophesies. You won't let my body rot. And Peter says, we all know David's body rotted. Now I'm paraphrasing. His tomb is over there. He says it's with us today. There's his tomb, David's body rotted. So who was he talking about? And then he starts telling them about the resurrection of Jesus and how God had brought him back for the dead. And he says, it is not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, David himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This crucifixion that we'll be remembering this week. Many, many people, godly people in the time before Jesus lived with little more than the testimony of the past that they had had from their fathers about being brought through the Red Sea, about being crossed, going across the Jordan, about the walls of Jericho falling down, it was repeated to them. They would see a pile of stones and they'd say, hey, Dad, what's this pile of stones for? That's been there for 500 years. Let me tell you what that means. And that's one thing they had. They had the, 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 uh, the memory of the past and what God had done. And many, many people lived with just that memory and the promise of the future, the promise of the prophets, the promise that the king would come mounted on a donkey into Jerusalem. 
the promise that the body would not undergo decay. And they lived not seeing that promise realized in their lifetimes. And the scripture says, Jesus says in Matthew 13, Truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And he said to them again that many prophets in Luke 10, many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, or to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. But they waited. They waited for the day. They waited hundreds of years. Generations came and went. And then, the time came. It was time. And so that passage in Galatians 4 that we sing in the song, when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey, he was long anticipated. Jesus was long anticipated. And then the fullness of time came. Well, good. Isn't that nice? Now our kids can wave palm branches. Isn't that good? So what do we do now? Well, you know, we uh, get better every day and in every way. Right? Is that what we do? Every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better. I think what we do much of the time now is we don't do the hosannaing that they did. We don't live with the anticipation that they did. We live more like, like Carly Simon's song anticipation, right? And the song is really about her love with somebody, but we all think of the song as how to get ketchup out of a bottle, right? Anticipation, anticipation. But the end of the song says this. It says, uh, these are the good old days. These are the good old days. Well, Jesus finally came and they all hosannaed, and now we can remember all that, but now we live in the good old days? Are these the good old days? Is that supposed to be how we live today? Jesus has come. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. These are the good old days. And that's the the breadth of our anticipation. The depth of our anticipation. Is there no hope for us? Is there nothing that we are to anticipate now that Jesus has come in the fullness of time? What are we supposed to look forward to? We all do spend time looking forward to things. But do we have instruction about what we are supposed to look forward to? 
First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. It says that we're supposed to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. Um, the way we read that means it sounds like we're doing some action that is affecting Christ in some way. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. It sounds like what we're doing is we're affecting his sanctification by doing it to him. Like we're supposed to be able to make Christ more holy. Right? How are we going to work on him? Does anybody have an idea? How we, you and I, are going to sanctify Christ in that way. Can we make Christ holy? No, this sanctification isn't about making Christ holy. It has more to do with our affections, devotions, our fears, our allegiances. It's in the context of 1 Peter, where Peter deals with how the people are to live holy before God while under the pressure applied by the world. And so they're sanctifying Christ in their hearts for the purpose of being able to, to live in anticipation. The sanctifying of Christ in their hearts is the way that they anticipate Christ. It's the way that they're... Uh, it's the way that they're... Uh, uh, it's the way that they're looking for the appropriate palm branches to, to cut off in preparation. You understand? You think about the people at the moment of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he's coming in. It says they threw palm branches, they waved palm branches, they threw their coats down. Where did the palm branches come from? Do you know our palm branches come from Lucy? And Lucy brings them from Marsh. And so Lucy is preparing all the children for Hosannaing on Palm Sunday. But you know, these people didn't have Lucy there with a, a, a little bucket of palm branches to, to pick out as, as they suddenly see Jesus coming to town. So they actually had to do the work of preparing for the Hosannaing they would do. And so they were in a way, visually, think about it. They were sanctifying Christ as Lord in their hearts as they went out to get palm branches. They were making preparation. They were applying their lives and their actions to the hope that they were about to celebrate. Okay? And so this sanctification is about anticipation. It's about true anticipation. What does the Christian hope for? What are we hoping for? What are we anticipating? He's come. He went into Jerusalem on the donkey. What are we anticipating? What promise do we have? Well, the promises and anticipations of the Christian are not the promises and anticipations that Carly Simon sings about or this world proposes to us. Just like those people in the Old Testament hoped for something that they had not yet seen, so in fact we too hope for something that we have not yet seen. We have seen something that they had not seen. We have a past. We have a future hope. They had a past and a future hope. Ours is much more complete because Jesus came in the fullness of time and he, 
and he suffered, and he died, and he rose again from the dead. They had not seen that as past. But there is yet more for us as believers. There is yet more that God promises to Christians. And so, earlier in the book of 1 Peter, it's spoken of as Peter is talking about those who are chosen in chapter 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. His great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So later, it tells us that we're supposed to be able to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We have been born again to a living hope. We live with expectation. He is sanctified as Lord in our hearts. And we live with the the hope that we will obtain He goes on in verse 4, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven. And that we're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And though we do not see him, we love him. And though we do not see him now but believe in him, we rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls. This salvation is what the prophets prophesied about a long time ago. And so Christians, people who have come to believe and call upon Jesus Christ as Lord, are to sanctify him as Lord in their hearts and live in a living hope for something coming. It's not all done. We live in a, in, a, in a tension between the already and the not yet. We all live there as believers. There are things that are already and there are things that are not yet. And we hope, we believe in the already and we hope in the not yet. Just like those Old Testament saints believed in the crossing of the Red Sea and hoped in the triumphal entry. You understand? We live in that tension. And we are supposed to be living, hoping, uh, living with Christ being sanctified in our hearts with, with anticipation of the time that the fulfillment will come. And so what is the hope that we have? If you think about all the things you hope for, right? Roller skating at the roller rink with the wheels that fall off. That's way down down here somewhere now on my list, you know. You think about the things you hoped for when you were young and now you're old and you think, don't so much care anymore, right? But we all have these these, uh, descending stacks of hope and the thing on the top is the the thing we we hope most for immediately and then they just go down in order. And so if, if I were able to look at your stack of stuff and like, and like peel the cards off and see that, what would I see? What would other people see if they could see inside of you and see what you're hoping for right now? What you're anticipating? What is sanctified in your heart? Money? More money so that you can have the better whatever? Parties? Getting your driver's license? Deer hunting season? 
swing dancing, marriage, gardens, pleasure, retirement, leisure, vacations, houses, birthdays? Where are these things in the stack? And where is Christ? Where is the one who came into Jerusalem and then the next week died? And by the power, again, by the power of God was raised again from the dead for your and my salvation. Where is he in our stack of stuff? In the place of our anticipation, where is he? What is our living hope? Is it a living hope or is it like something we, we chew on like paper? You know, a nice big old bite of cellulose. You know, that insulation that you blow and they blow into the walls of the house, the ground up paper, can you just... This is what we anticipate. This dry, nothing, lifeless, that's not a living hope. We all will have hopes and things. We'll all anticipate things. Trust me, we just all will. I still want you to tell me happy birthday. It'll make me feel good. But if that's at the top of my stack, I've got a problem. And if my garden is at the top of my stack, and if my car is at the top of my stack, and if whatever it is, then we have a problem. Because we haven't sanctified Christ as Lord in our hearts. The Lord is the one at the top, you realize? Every, everything else is ordered beneath him. The Lord is the one at the top of the stack. But we have a living hope. And God isn't slow about fulfilling this. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And he will bring it all to a close. And how should we live then? knowing that this is how it will be? What should be the ordering of our lives, knowing that this is how it should be? Are we looking, looking for and, and, and calling for the day of the Lord? Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following, for the, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. He gave himself... He is purifying for himself. He, it, he will be the blessed hope. He will be the one that we hope for. He is the blessed hope. The blessed hope is for us to be with Jesus. In 1 Peter, the, word, uh, the words at the last time are used. In chapter 1. And that just means at the eschaton, the end. There is an end. 
all of this is going to end. There's going to be an end. There's going to be an eschaton. It's going to all be done in terms of what we see and understand now. God's going to bring all of creation to a close. Now, what will your eschaton be? For hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, men came to their eschaton. What did they come to? It is appointed to man once to die. Now, I grew up in a tradition where we talked about the eschaton all the time, but it was always about the rapture, right? I'm not going to get into the rapture this morning, but I want you to know that's all they ever thought of when they thought of the blessed hope. The blessed hope was the rapture. And I just want to tell you that the blessed hope isn't the rapture. It's Jesus. Jesus is the blessed hope. And there's a time when I will come to the blessed hope. And, it, and just like in the time Jesus came into Jerusalem, there's a time when, some, when the blessed hope will come to some people. I, I don't want to make too much of this, but you realize... If I die before God brings this world to a close, I come to the eschaton. Jesus may still come back, but I am with him at that point. You understand? The most, the most important eschatological event of your life is probably going to be, up until this point, in 2,000 years of Christian history, the most important, important eschatological event of every Christian up until this point has been their death. What are you doing to, to live with anticipation so that you can come to that day when you go to Christ or that day when Christ comes to us? Either way, that's the end. That's the day we're supposed to anticipate. It's our hope. Are we hosannaing? Are we, are we gathering branches? Are we sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts? Are we putting him at the very top of everything? Are we fighting against sin and asking God to deliver us? Now, if you're a believer this morning, that is a fight that you know about and that you should be involved in. And if you're not a Christian today and, and you're just hearing about this for the first time, I want to tell you that God has provided a way for you to have a hope that's a whole lot more than anything this world could even think of, think of presenting to you. And the hope is in his son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your kindness and mercy. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess today that we often live in this world loving other things and other, having other affections, even above your Son. Have mercy on us, Father. Have mercy on us and cause us, Lord, to sanctify in our hearts that one that we are living in anticipation of, Jesus as Lord. 
Lord, cause us to be able to rejoice at what has been done through his triumphal entry and the days that followed, and cause us also to live in the posture of expectation for what will yet be done as we look forward to seeing him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.